be like a brief edit that we'll do, but it's not. It's just for time. Right. Yeah, and you don't. can swear. Yeah. Don't, it's. <laughs> we, I mark all of them as explicit. Yes. <laughs> hey, good morning. <laughs> We're on. Right on. Good morning. Welcome to the Why Aren't You Famous podcast, season two, with your hosts. Oh, I'm first Ellen Cherry and Andrew Grimm. and here we're uh, sitting in out. the we're sitting in the living room. Sitting in the living room early early in the morning for some of us with Pie. With Pie, it's Pie's living room. That's it's, right. It's her living room. She is a, a maybe a lab mix, but she also allows Lou Poster to live in her house. She does, <laughs> and and we are in Columbus, Ohio, right now with Lou Poster of Driftmouth. Good morning, everybody. Ooh, how <laughs> you doing? You see, you said your voice wasn't going to be that great this morning, but man, it's amazing. No, it's well, really this nice. is the uh, yeah, this is the early morning uh, gravel, whatever, right, right whatever on. I wake up with. Well, we, we were just uh, off air. We were just talking about quitting smoking and stuff like that, and you were talking about how you were going to write your own uh, cessation book. Yeah, I uh, I just quit uh, nine days ago, I guess. Uh-huh. And uh, congratulations. Thank you. That's awesome. Uh, definitely needed to do it, as you can hear. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think it would be uh, uh, beneficial for other people to to have a book kind of written on their wavelength. I have I was not never able to find one that was written to me personally. I kind of had to self edit right. uh, the book that I read as I was reading it. So and the book should be Dear Lou, Stop Smoking. <laughs> you should do an audio an audio book an Ooh, audio version of your book would be great. That would be, be like, super yeah, cool because your yeah. voice is your voice is amazing. Yeah, and and it would be like it would be this. <clears throat> hey, this is a Lou poster. Put down the cigarettes. <laughs> just, just stop, man. Just stop. It'd <laughs> be great. Just stop. So, I think now would be a good time. <laughs> now, <laughs> put them down. That'd be a great title too. What, what was your title? Your working title? Oh, it's the bad motherfuckers' way to quit fucking smoking. That's <laughs> <laughs> the the title of the book. It'll be coming out, you know, in six or eight months. Right on, right on. That's, that's very honest. Very honest. Um, so I met you via, I think Matt Monta. I, and at the tree bar at the tree bar yeah that was like f- six years ago yeah. seven years ago uh-huh. it's been a while um and uh you know i listened to your stuff uh the drift mouth stuff is really good you guys just put uh that record out uh last year or was it like six months ago well it actually that record has had a strange life uh this is it's called little patch of sky that's right yeah, yeah. and uh it's it's had a strange uh, how about series of births yeah. uh it came out on my Dead Canary Records label in April mm-hmm. of, uh, of 18. I uh, got picked up by an imprint of Creep Records um, called Wild Frontier. And that came out in early August. And then Orchard, Sony uh, Distribution picked that up through them. And it was re-released again in October. Right on. So it's it's had a, a couple, of <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> couple of moments. So for people who don't know that process... Um, put it in um, non-musician, non-record label terms. Basically, you self-released. Right. And then a, a regional label picked you, right? Or had you been on them before? Had no, you been- no. Um, actually, the, the guy that we use for uh, 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 publicity, uh, Gary Strack at Night Owl, uh, is friends with Eric Victor, who owns Creep Records. Okay. And he, you know, he was working the record, and he just mentioned it to his buddy Eric, who was like, oh, I, I really like that. I'm wanted to start an imprint that was more Americana based anyway let me you know at least do the CD version of it which is how that started that relationship cool so he put out a CD version of it and because you had pressed it on vinyl because I had pressed it on vinyl only yeah I didn't know honestly that people bought CDs anymore I didn't think that that was a thing and as it turns out two years ago or last year that was last year last year okay so 
I got involved with with uh, with Gary in February, just ahead of the release of the record on vinyl for me. Gotcha. And he got me in touch with uh, with Eric, probably Juneish, hmm. and we kind of made a plan to get a CD out. That's cool because all the, you know everything was done. Yeah, artwork's done. Whatever, and he kind of put it together pretty quickly on his own, and and had it out kind of before I really knew that anything was happening. Yeah. So that that was oh, okay. August, great, cool. So we put together like a really small tour, mm-hmm. and went to Philly, went to New York, whatever. Came home and we we're like, okay, so now what? Yeah. Eh, wait, and you wait. Right. And then oh, we got picked up by this distribution thing. So go out and tour again. And try to sell some records through like Amazon and Walmart and stuff. Right, which right, right. I've never, you know, ever had a, a record available in that widely. You know. Oh, that's amazing! And Congratulations! So, thank you. Yeah. And so now we're we're seeing you know, uh, international reviews that are just popping up naturally. Like, oh, cool! You know, we're not sending things out anymore, mm-hmm. but you know, we're starting to see it actually. Kind the of Sony do its distribution own thing. machine is uh-huh. actually working. Yeah. For uh-huh. yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So that came out in October of 2018, which uh-huh. means that now, like, are they going to, because I think a lot of people don't understand how, what that means, distribution. I think, like, the gatekeepers have changed so much, even in the time that we have all been working the last 20 years. Right. It used to be, like, that was the the um, holy grail, is that you get onto a record label uh-huh. and get distribution, or the record label takes care of everything. Mm-hmm. And people. then you've made it, and it's all good and gold. And, yeah. You know. It's totally different it's now. Completely different. You self-release, which means that you paid for the record, you paid for the recording, you did mm-hmm. all of the writing and producing. Or I don't know if did you have a producer for a Little Patch of Sky? No, uh, we worked with <clears throat> excuse me, Joe Veers, uh, who is our engineer, uh, and he works. If you ever get a chance to work with him, he's uh, an ace, and he's also a, a very good producer. So mm-hmm. he he will kind of take on that role. Yeah. If you want, um, so we work together. Uh, producing that record. And that's not the way that the model really was built before. It usually no. was that the record label dictated who your producer was going to be if they picked you up and signed you as an artist. Right. So there's a benefit to having creative control at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have kind of this ideal road right now. You you made the record that you wanted to make. And yes, it cost you the money and you had to foot the bill for it and produce it yourself and then throw it up against the wall like all of us are doing, you know, right. like and see what stuck. But then through the series of events and your and your work with your PR person, like you found that that way into Sony. So now you are have access to this bigger machine that can at least direct you to these larger markets exactly. in a way that the, you couldn't the, before. Yeah. The downside of that is that it's not Sony's money and it's not Sony's investment. So yeah. any work that gets done, I do have the I have the uh, access yeah. that I didn't have before, which yeah. is right. great. Yeah. Um, but I still have to do all the work. Yeah, right. no. Which, you know, it's totally okay. Fine with me. But I think that there's this illusion that even <clears throat> now that that is still like you can sit back and relax. It's like no, I don't think that for for artists anymore that, and not that any artist, any real artist, is ever going to sit back and relax. Yeah, That's what drives bougie us. hoodie. <laughs> don't even talk about that. I don't <laughs> even want to bring that. Up. We don't need to give that more press. We read an article this morning about um, a, I think he's a rapper who had. 823 digital downloads and has a number one song because of 83 million streams, but only 820, no physical copies sold. It's the wow. first time in history. Mm-hmm. So like the thing we were talking about the show last night about pay what you want and you know, CDs aren't like people don't even have CD players anymore. Like, like you just said, right. are people even making CDs? It's a different market. So this is 
a, a success story in a in a reality version of it because you you are aware that this is a stepping stone and a valuable tool to continue to propel your band forward you know right. like this is let's see what a little patch of sky does for the next year and a half on these wider markets and then prepare for the next follow-up project to push right it for and them. and you know right now i'm i've almost finished writing the next record mm. and we'll start to record here within the next few months awesome looking for a release date in early 2020 cool. you know like probably spring of, of 2020 good hopefully. so then you have a whole year of, mm -hmm. of time to right. see what the benefit of being on sony is going to be and you know we we did a, a thing with um uh joe swank uh mm -hmm. who's works with bloodshot sure. records uh he pushed to the radio for us and got us spins like all over the country and and internationally as well and uh, got us on some good, you know, uh, internet radio. Right. So we've seen some some benefit from that. But again, I'm footing the bill. I'm, you know, yeah. sure. pushing all that stuff forward. Yeah, because you are paying for this. Like, that's right. the thing. Sony is not paying for that radio. Right, promotion. right. It, you know, yeah. I did all that stuff before, Yeah. you know, Sony was involved. And, you know, as a distribution arm, basically what they are is a warehouse that they that our record label ships records to. And mm. then they, if somebody orders one at Walmart, they can supply that yeah right. uh the the real benefit was that it showed up at amazon and you know that's a that's such a huge marketplace right for, for just for it to show up there and i can send that link to people yeah that's a that's an easy way to sell well, and you're going to be found by their audience too because there's i mean frankly they've figured it out they're pretty much world domination yeah. <laughs> you know, they so. do have a pretty good model over there i mean yeah. you know yeah that's awesome that's awesome congratulations thank you so here's a question um is you're from west virginia yes and you started playing music because there was nothing else to do. Well, <laughs> what's, what's your origin story? <clears throat> yes, uh, in the comic book story of the right, poster, right. what's okay. your origin story? Um, my dad was a third generation coal miner. Uh, he worked for Consolidation Coal. Um, my great grandfather came over from Italy and immediately settled in in this little area uh, that at the time was was a boomtown, uh, Fairmont, West Virginia, where I'm from at one time had more millionaires per capita than any other city in the United States uh, because of the coal boom. So the coal barons who made all of the money and paid their uh, their workers in script. Yep. Right. Um, Which they also benefited profit from. Profit wildly <laughs> yeah. by, uh, you know, not paying for labor and then charging more for goods. And, and, and ran, you know, the, the whole town that I'm from is basically a mining camp surrounding a gigantic 15 bedroom mansion Wow, that was wow. owned by the Colbert. Um, so I grew up there and I grew up in the shadow of that house and seeing it every day and, and living in the camp, you know? Yeah. And dad worked six days one week and seven days the next and I just thought that that's what people did. I thought that that's what a working life was like. Well, that's and, your world. I mean, right. at that point when you're a child, yeah, your when whole you're a kid, world what is you your parent, think, right? what your parents do. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and, you know, by the time I was junior high, high school age, I realized that there were other options, but not, I wasn't seeing any of them firsthand. I, you know, heard about it on the radio. I saw it on TV and in the movies, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, read it in books, but I did not see it. 
And I think for a lot of people who are listening to this on Apple Podcasts may be, you know, hopefully not surprised to learn that this is the 80s and 90s before the internet. So, right. yeah. and then the idea of the internet making it to West Virginia at that point to inform you of things. Like people be like, well, how come you didn't figure out earlier? Well, this you are getting your information from a newspaper right. or television. Uh, or, <laughs> or somebody who, who else has been beyond, mm-hmm. you know. The parameters exactly. of your right. world, you yeah. yeah. Um, I actually have a fairly interesting story about that, if you don't mind taking oh, a little please. version. Um, when I was in the fifth grade, so what year is that, Ellen? That's... That would have been probably, how old are you in fifth grade? Like 10, so 1984, 1985, okay. 1986 yeah, probably, yeah. yeah. Uh, my dad was very concerned about me getting out, I think, and he bought us a Commodore 64. Oh, cool. And a 300 baud modem. Whoa. And I had one other friend in, in Fairmont, his name was Darren Morrow, and Darren and I used to, we called it modeming each other because we didn't have a word for it. We would call, turn on, and then the uh-huh. one would turn on the modem, it would make the fax sounds or whatever, and you hang up. Block the telephone line. And then, yeah, completely <laughs> block the telephone line. You didn't, mom would get mad because she was missing phone calls. And it's a busy signal, there's not even a call waiting or anything. No, <laughs> and, I remember that. And we would type back and forth to each other, we called it modeming, because uh-huh. we, you know, we but that was basically, I guess, chatting, you know, yeah, email. Yeah. And um, we had these things called bulletin boards that we would create. And, you know, you could get on and like the six people with dial-up access could actually look at these things that we were making. And they were... A chat room. Websites yeah. and chat rooms. And yeah. So I did start out on the internet. And then by the time that it became, what was that, the Commodore Amiga. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was the last one that I had, and then I, I got priced out. I couldn't go any further than that, yeah. you know. And uh, so I, I quit, quit really doing <laughs> computer stuff, and now I'm super far behind. But <laughs> had I stayed with it... Right. Who knows where you would be right exactly. now. Exactly. <laughs> That's well, awesome. Darren That's went awesome. to Carnegie Mellon, so I don't know. Maybe... <laughs> He stuck with it. He stuck with it. So how'd you get into music, though? Like, how did that how did that happen? Well, uh, my mother's father was a huge country and, uh, and and Western swing fan. He loved country music and bluegrass. And, I mean, always around, you know, just constantly playing. He never was a, a, a musician himself, but he just loved music and would take us to these festivals, you know, always had music in the background, always had the radio on. And when I was a kid, I didn't have like a musical music taste you know i'd listen to whatever was around and i loved it i just Mm -hmm. loved the way that music felt and the way that musicians seemed you know Uh, we'd go to these that's a beautiful way of describing it yeah that you you saw the way that they were in the world and you thought Hey, that's a cool way to be in the yeah, world. Yeah, <laughs> that's a cool way to, to kind of vibrate through yeah. your life. You know what I mean? To, to be that kind of a person. And, you know, I, I didn't meet... <laughs> I was a kid, so I was getting their best. You know yeah, what right. I mean? Like, I wasn't getting into all the other things that musicians get into at that, at that moment. But, well, you the know. Real, just being real people. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but, um, so, these barn parties, you know, there's there's bleachers inside the barn. And out back is where everybody was warming up. And so everybody's walking around with acoustic instruments and they would just kind of cluster together. Mm-hmm. And since everybody knows the same 50 or 60 or 70 you know, traditional songs, somebody's playing this one over here, they wander over and they harmonize a little bit or throw in a, a, a fill or a lick here and then go over to this other group. And just watching that happen, it was almost like people were just talking to each other. Hmm. Yeah. You know, without 
words. It was it was really interesting to me. It was really cool to just be a, a child and and watch that kind of intermingling. Almost like a bird up. language or something. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, like yeah, like, yeah a different like species uh-huh. of language speaking in something that right. A, that you started to understand or you actually like were attracted enough to be like, I want to understand that language. Right. Yeah. And it didn't take long to, to kind of figure out, you know, that that's what I was going to do. Cool. You know, like I immediately was when I was a kid, I was a kind of a parrot. So I would hear a song on the radio, not understand what it meant. There's video of me uh, being three years old, singing dust in the wind, <laughs> you know, standing on a tabletop at Dairy Queen because right. it came on the radio. You know, um, you're like all we are is dust. How the fuck does a three year old know what dust in the wind is? Like, you know, but because I had heard it a hundred times, I, I was able to do that, and it's I've I've kind of always been that this way, yeah. right? Right. Um. So you know, I I got involved in in music earlier on. You know, when I was in high school, I I played uh, classical guitar for a group. Oh, cool. Um, I was never any good at it. I'm still not a very good guitar player. Are did you are you self taught? Yeah. Yeah. Completely. Me too. Yeah. Um, me too. But I don't mind that. You know, I yeah. some of my favorite musicians aren't the greatest instrumentalists. Right. You know? yeah. For me, excuse me, um it's more about the story, the melody, the song, the way that it's presented that right. way. I've never Given a shit about technicality, right? You know, right Steve right. Vai is not my hero. Yeah, Ingve is not the guy that I look up to. Right. I, I, Towns Van Sant, I look up to. You sure. Know? So. Well, you're feeling it. Right. And the I, idea of feeling I, it. I think that yeah. that's the that's the difference is yeah. is having um, something important versus something that is you know just esoteric and and meant for people to nerd out to. You know. Well, yeah. I, I think a lot of times like those guys. Um, the way Steve Vai plays or Angvi Malsteam or, or any of those like, you know, whatever, those guys are meant to be some sort of uh, like a ornament. It's, it's something extra to the song, and it, but it's a show-off type of moment, whereas, you know, that would get in the way of right. of the lyrics or the story. And you want your guitar playing to be, you know, simple. I mean, there's something cool about having some flashy stuff, but, I mean... The, the most he's not underrated at all but the the best example i can think of is is david rawlings mm. who he plays little scales up and down but the way he places them with what gillian welch is doing cuz mm-hmm. she she plays real kind of simple rhythm chord types of things and he just matches up so you can barely hear him there but then when it's time for him to step out then there's that that part but it's like you know, all that other stuff, the hair metal, spandex. Well, what he's doing, it's like such a neutered word to describe what he's doing, but it's complimentary. Yeah. You know, like you're complimenting like the purpose of the song or the purpose of why we're hearing the melody. Right. And rather yeah. than like, and I, I've always, I'm similar to you guys. Like I, I'm, I can be impressed by somebody who has great technical skill, but my level of being impressed lasts maybe 30 seconds to a minute. And I'm yeah. just like, wow, I just observed a human being doing what sounded like something a machine would do, mm-hmm. which is incredible, but I actually don't want to be in the presence of an animatronic machine playing something. And yeah. it's not that it's not right. impressive or that it takes skill. It's just that like, it's to me, this is going to sound, I don't, I'm not trying to disparage anybody who's dedicated their life to the skill of an <laughs> instrument because it is impressive. Sure. But there's a sense to me that, um, 
the singularity of delivering a message of bringing the interior part of you out right. um, is more individualistic in a way, even though you're trying to build community. And people who have great technical skill generally tend to fit into ensembles and they'll be in orchestras and mm. they are a, an essential part of a sound that is directing a bigger volume right. or a bigger melody message. And I don't know. So right. like it's, I, I'm impressed by it, but I'm not seduced by it. Right. And it's not sensuous to me in the, in the same way that hearing, it doesn't have to be a beautiful voice. One of my favorite voices is Tom Waits and like, or Leonard Cohen. Mm. I love listening to those recordings of those men sing. And it's just like, their voices aren't pretty, but they are interesting and intriguing and sensuous to me. So, well, and they also fit a, you know, that's part of the storytelling. Like yeah. I believe their voice. If I see somebody who's, you know, shredding, it's like, okay, I get it. You can play really fast. You learned your scales, and that's awesome. And I know you're playing in a way that's like, look what I can do. But it's like, well, just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. Right. And it's also, I think that that style is more of a way to hide Mm -hmm. than a way to express. Like, that's just doing skateboard tricks, not writing a poem. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And doesn't it seem sort of like it's trying to exclude, too? Because I feel like... The great thing about the guitar is I tell anyone, I'm just like, if you learn a couple of chords and you can support your voice, mm-hmm. then you can play guitar. Just right. play. Just play and just play and play and play a lot. And like anybody who's starting, I'm just like, the first month you should just be like hearing what the instrument does and like figuring out where a few chords are in your fingers and getting your calluses together. But like, don't feel like you have to be like perfectly playing every scale, you know, right, right. when you start. Like it's not... It's not going to benefit the, the purpose of expression. No. Anyway, what are we going to sure. say? I'm sorry. I feel like I cut you off. <laughs> um, I, I guess it's it's sort of um, playing that, that hyper-technical stuff. It's something that I think that people feel like they can be graded on. Yeah. You know what I mean? That there's um, Because art in general and music especially is so nebulous as far as like what people will, will like and yeah sure it's hard to it's hard to say i'm really good at unless you do it that way yeah and then like yeah, no I mean, comparison what are they comparing i can't to? get into that like you know what was that movie <laughs> there was the movie where steve i actually played crossroads. the guitar for yeah crossroads right? yeah i just i just watched the, that that guitar duel the other night <laughs> it was on somebody posted on facebook and i was like i gotta right. watch this again yeah which is you know. see and, and to me like there's the, that battle can't happen like there's just no way for that to happen, but I do understand that some people just like to be judged better. Yeah. yeah. Like oh, I'm 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 the best yeah. guitar player or whatever, and that just doesn't that yeah. does nothing it's for not me. For, yeah, it's not and for me either. Yeah. You know, sometimes for me the best guitar melody or line or solo is a couple of notes. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. You know, that's totally fine. Yeah, less so. is more. Yeah. So, well, all right. So we're getting up, we're getting close where we got to talk about the song. But really quick, I wanted to ask you about Grafton mm-hmm. and how that came together what you guys were doing and you guys just had a reunion show. Right, um, so back in, um, I moved to Columbus, Ohio in 1995 because I thought that there was like a pretty, and there was a, a really good music scene here, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it was either Pittsburgh or Columbus and I chose Columbus uh, based on like the New Bomb Turks and, and Gaunt, and Thomas Jefferson Slave Apartments, like really awesome bands. And I started a band immediately called I Have Mass, and we were on a, a small label called Lizard Family Music. It was basically the same model that, that I have now. There was a label that would allow us to use their contacts mm-hmm. to put out basically self-release, but they had already made some inroads and, and had a couple of bands with, with some 
name recognition. Right. So I Have Mass was playing, and it was on a label with uh, a band called Preston Furman. And Jason Kiernan was the drummer for Preston Furman. And I Have Mass and Preston Furman sort of petered out right around the same time. And we started playing as a two-piece, and we called it Grafton after this town that I grew up near in, uh, in West Virginia. So Jason and I start doing this this two-piece thing. He gets involved with another band called The Bygones, and they were on a label called Derailer Records. And that ties into this reunion show because the guy who ran Derailer Records was named Brad Liebling. We get involved with Brad and, and picked up a bass player. Uh, Bygones record came out on Derailer, and then the Grafton record came out on Derailer. Jason played at drums on both of them. And shortly after the Grafton record came out, Brad approached me and said, hey, I don't want to run a record label anymore. Do you want it? And I was like, dude, I can't afford to buy your record label off of you. I don't need money. Right. You know, playing Grafton. Come on, man. <laughs> and, uh, you know what the receipts are. Yeah, exactly. Um, and he was like, no, 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 just just take it. And so he gave me all of this back stock, wow. all of these contacts, like, you know, reams of, you know, back in the day, everything was still yeah. handwritten out and like, mailers and you know stickers for addresses and stuff and just this whole record label he just gave it to me wow and so i ran that for a couple of years and then uh, i had this partner named scott stromer who we were talking about like what the future of the label is going to be we decided to kind of rebrand it as dead canary records and so we put out the cheater slicks and Bassholes and mm -hmm. demon's claw and, and, a, and a couple more grafton records and so and educate me because I don't know what style of music those people are were okay, playing. Okay, Bassels and, and, and Cheater Slicks are more of the uh, kind of art-bent um, garage rock stuff. Okay. It's it's real out there. It's it's real damaged. It's real <laughs> hard to listen to if you're like a, if you like pretty music. And it's amazing when you just don't. You know what I mean? So kind of like punk, but maybe a little bit more it's even punk sharper? garage for sure. Okay. And um, it's 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 um, it's mind expanding. You know. Cool. Um, it's it's definitely not for everybody, <clears throat> but when it's your cup of tea, it's 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 your cup of tea. They're the best at it. Oh, um, cool. Uh, you know, good friends. Uh, Don Halland took us on our first uh, European tour. Um, the Cheater Six. I used to drive them around in my old beat up van. You know. Uh, and they're just amazing bands. So, you know, we got that label kind of up and established with those acts. And then uh, just a few few years ago, I decided to kind of put it to bed. I wasn't going to do Dead Canary anymore. And then when this uh, Driftmouth thing started to, you know, really happen, and I thought that we were getting songs that were solid enough to maybe start getting back into it professionally, um, I had to resurrect that label to put out, put out the record. And so all the stuff that we talked about earlier has, you know, kind of been a result of that. Yeah. Brad Liebling, the guy that gave me a derailleur in the first place, passed away in uh, September. Mm. Oh. Kind of odd circumstances. It's it's still an ongoing investigation of exactly what happened. But oh no. He left behind some children, and so we decided to have a benefit show for uh, his family, uh, just this past uh, the fourth, a um, couple of weeks ago, and so Grafton got back together for that. And, you know, we had a couple of weeks of rehearsals. It's like riding a bike. Like we had the, mm -hmm. we had the song still in our pocket, which is fine. But even at rehearsals, I wouldn't sing because the style that I had on that band is completely different than what I do now. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's really hard on my throat. I can imagine. Uh, it's one of the reasons that I had to quit Grafton in the first place to kind of 
put that down is because you like, can go to a vocal coach to learn how to do that style of singing, but it's really hard to like right. not wreck your vocal cords doing it. Yeah, I mean, and I've I've never had that kind of yeah stuff. You know, I'm right. completely self taught in every possible way. So. Plus, it seems I mean, having heard you sing twice now and like listen to your records, the style that you're singing is very suited to your voice, like the style you were singing last night. And I think that you know the the voice that I have now was earned through all of the sure. punishment that I gave it for 20 <laughs> years in, in Grafton for sure. Seasoning, yes, seasoning uh-huh. your voice. <clears throat> but um, so so we did that, and then we're gonna do it one more time uh, for our buddy Donovan, our bass player's birthday is coming up uh, oh, cool. in February. Cool. So we'll do it one more time and then uh, we'll be done with grafting again for a very long time. <laughs> right on. Well, that's cool. Um, so we're going to talk uh, for just a moment here, real brief. Um, you chose a topic to write a song because um, you were working on this song, but uh, American Icons. Yeah. So um, the, the theme of our songs are going to deal with, with some sort of variation of that. It is wide open interpretation. Um, <laughs> That's good but, because uh, mine's pretty far away pretty from far, American icons. Pretty far icon. in the orbit. Um, so when when you think Abstract. about when you think about American icons, what do you what's what are what's your criteria? I mean, well, I mean, uh, somebody that you could walk up to just any any person on the street and say their name and have it get you know put the light bulb bulb on. You right. Know? Right. Just in the in the sense of the word icon, like that's something that like I can identify a feeling or an event or an act with that person, right? Mm-hmm. Like solely that, like Richard Nixon, sure. You know what I mean? Like right. that's that's an icon. Like anytime you think of impeachment, you think of of Nixon. Yeah. For the next few months. <laughs> <laughs> for the for the for the now, that's all we're thinking about. <laughs> but for right now, right, that's, right now. that's who that uh, attaches to. Uh, you know. Uh, I chose Evil Knievel. Um, for me, Evil Knievel is is my favorite American icon because he's he uh, kind of embodies a lot of what you would think um, the the soul of America would be, like the hope and the the desire to like do something extraordinary. Also, coupled with this incredible cynicism and mm-hmm. dark kind of way of looking at the world, and that. That kind of sums up the American and costume and, 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 completely yeah. ridiculous, like over the like, top over theater, the top. like right. as far as you know what I mean, like a cape, exactly. Yeah. So, like a freaking superhero, right? <laughs> but um, also a silly superhero. Like that's what I loved about like watching him do the. Attempt but also these the these. danger was extremely real. No, it's you know? totally real. <laughs> and like that, I think you know, there's all this, there's this fantasy part of it, there's this reality part of it, there's you know he's doing it for the money. Like yeah. he's not yeah. doing it for fun. You know right, what I mean? Right, like right. there's all these different little parts of it. And I, I think that he's a very complicated character and a very, um, uh, a, a good, uh, metaphor for, for where we are experience. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, we're going to take a really quick break and, uh, get you, uh, mic'd up and then we're going to listen to your song. Cool. All right. All right. We're back and with Lou poster and Lou, what's your song? Um, I believe this song is called Snake River Canyon. Um, sometimes they change their mind as they evolve. <laughs> but uh, this is uh, yeah, this is a song about Evil Knievel. Asphalt still humming in the dark. 
Starlight cast a shadow on your mark Ain't no engine like fear Ain't no fuel like your pride You sold the ticket, take the ride And dare the devil every night on machine that were never meant to fly about it is and i'm gonna misquote it so you can correct me um 
the uh, people don't want to see me die. Oh yeah, that's uh, what I wanted to talk about too. Right, but they do. But, right, but they don't mind watching just in case I do. do. Yeah, you know. So we're like. I was going to ask about that part too or talk about it. Yeah. Like, how are you coming up with that idea? Like, how's that resonant? Well, uh, that was actually the thing that spurred this. That's that line is the spark of the whole song. And oh, that's cool. actually a legit quote from Evil Knievel. Oh, wow. Uh, I was watching a documentary about him and that was something that he said in passing to a friend of his about like that kind of summed up the, his experience with it was that he, he knew that people were coming to see him fail. Fail. Yeah. Wow. But they they were also good people, and they no, nobody wanted to see him die. Mm-hmm. But they couldn't pass up the opportunity to say that they were there when he did. Wow. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And that is again, like that ties into my whole idea about the American icon thing. Is that's one of the things that's wrong with America is that we are like that. We have this right. like death wish thing, but we're very complicated people. You know, well, there's a definite part of the story that is just like, what is that cliche that everyone loves a forgiveness story or a redemption story or a recovery story or this or that, you know, where like the comeback. Right. But the thing that has to precipitate the comeback is the huge downfall and the schadenfreude of that. And like, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of, I mean, the internet has definitely exacerbated people's fascination with like building somebody up just to tear them down right. just so that they can have the whole story of building themselves up again. It's right. very like that cycle is very much an American thing. It mm-hmm. seems like, I mean, I've only lived in this culture, like lived here, you know, I've been to other cultures, but I haven't lived in them. And right. our culture definitely seems to celebrate that concept. Yeah. That was like one of the lines that I thought was incredible. Yeah. A and, really good line. And just the idea, like, yeah, you set the scene so well. And also the idea that I, this is how I interpreted it, that, the the things that a person may be looking for are not on the other side of that canyon, right. but on this side of the canyon, mm-hmm. and that there's no reason to put yourself in that mortal danger to really find fulfillment. I mean, maybe I'm digging a little bit in, or like reading but, into it a little mm-hmm, bit but, uh, on my uh, own perception of it. <laughs> it's, it's such a search for it or a drive to, to get to it that you are going to use machines that weren't made to fly. Yeah. Right. You know, uh-huh. like there's no reason a motorcycle should be going that that high up in the air, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, without wings at least, or jet <laughs> propulsion, or hover bikes, or whatever. So, and really quick, um, t- tell us about because um, some people hearing this might not know, like what what's the whole deal with Snake River? Um, so, Evil Knievel, uh, you know, at at one point he was super famous, and he he'd already done all these motorcycle jumps. And he decided he was going to jump Snake River Canyon. And it's out in the middle of the desert, and it's like a mile wide. And they set up a, a rocket ship for him to sit in. And they're you know, going to shoot him across this giant canyon, right? And, you know, as, like you do. As, as the event starts to get closer and closer, like he starts to get more and more nervous. About, I mean, this is very, very real. He's going to die, yeah, you yeah. know. And he starts to realize it. And, you know, the whole thing about Evil Knievel, there's this huge debate as to whether he was always just a, a carny or whatever. Right. And I think that he was to the degree that he was then willing to bet his life on doing, you know, on that gamble, you know, like right. he was a carny who could sell the event, mm-hmm. but then he was actually strapped to that motorcycle or to that rocket. Now, when he did he's the snake river, he's not just the barker, he's the performer. Exactly. Like the person right. Right. Yeah. Him. Yeah. So he's, he's not sending somebody else up to do this. Yeah. Like he's the monkey in the spacesuit. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like he's the guy. He's on the high wire. So he gets in this rocket and they shoot it 
<laughs> and there's some debate as to whether or not he pulled the emergency thing early or what. But it goes up, it, the parachute deploys instantly, it gets like halfway over the canyon, and he kind of goes down on this parachute into the bottom of the canyon. He gets hurt pretty bad, as Evil Knievel used to do all the time, yeah. Yeah. but did not die. And he always said he was going to go back and jump it. He was going to successfully jump the Snake River Canyon, but he never did. Mm -hmm. And so the, the idea in my mind is that there's this, like the things that drove him to want to do that, before he was a, a stuntman, he was a petty criminal he was a burglar mm. and he was an insurance salesman which is also a petty criminal and you know <laughs> con man. just with the corporate structure right exactly right. but you know he he was he's always been this kind of a person and what drove him to that was you know possibly some psychological problems or whatever sure. and you know him giving up everything else to pursue this career and do this thing and be, become famous you know he he's continually driven to finding those things that he's let go of and they're not out there across the Snake River Canyon, and he doesn't right. know that. And then, you know, the song talks about him, like, daring the devil and, and all that stuff. And then at the end, he actually died of a lung disease, and he was in a wheelchair. He was wheelchair-bound because he'd mm. broken all of his bones so many times. And so there's this, like, you know, virile American icon stuntman right. reduced to living in a wheelchair and coughing himself to death. You know, he, he died of that lung disease. Mm. And that was the devil's way of getting back at him for making the devil look like a fool for so many years. Right. You know, like that kind of a conceit, you know, comes into the song. And, you know, it's it's folklore storytelling. Sure. Yeah. And that kind of stuff. But that's the, the, the shit that drives me and keeps me awake at night. So. <laughs> well, it's interesting because there are two things that came to my mind when you were talking. One is that what drove people to leave an island in a canoe looking at a flat horizon thinking, I'm just going to sail off in that direction and see. And there's a spirit of people that did that right. and the explorer spirit. And there's people who do it internally. They explore their minds that way or their spirits. There's people who did physically challenge themselves with actual physics. And when the, at the end of when you were telling that story, I was starting to think about um, people that, push their bodies to a limit and then privately suffer for that, that limit pushing like Prince, like to see purple rain. And if you go back and watch that film, he's jumping off of six foot tall speakers into splits, not, he's not landing and then doing the splits. He's landing in the splits on the stage. And later it's no surprise that he ends up having to take pain management medication for right insane pain in his hips and his whole body because he had used his body so hard you know and and to entertain and to push himself like an like a daredevil jumping right. off mm -hmm. a speaker yeah. and i think about that the the physical cost of of what people do to to drive our emotions you know and to pull us in as explorers you know evil knievel is like one of those explorer spirits who's just like well okay I'm going to push myself to do this. Right. Yeah, exploring limits. <laughs> like an interior drive that um, observer, other observers may not have, you know. Time to wrap up. Time to move on to the Time next one. On. Okay. Speaking of limits. I'm trying to delay, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, of exploring limits. Okay. All right. So we're going to be back here with Ellen Cherry's song about American icons. Loosely, loosely, loosely. Loosely inspired by American icons. Okay. <laughs> With Ellen Cherry and her song about American iconish things. <laughs> what is this called? This What's one, it about? This one's called Giant. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. And I was, this was the quick thread because I um, got the topic a couple of days ago and writing on the road is difficult for me. So um, I like to have a lot of alone time with my thoughts and um, I didn't carve it out. But um, I was thinking about, uh, we had been watching a television show and there was a dude trying on a cowboy hat mm -hmm. and I'm from Texas and I was thinking about how iconic the cowboy hat is and then I started thinking about masculinity and then it led me on this whole path of like wanting to write a song that reassured men that part of being masculine is being vulnerable. Ooh. <laughs> so. Says you. <laughs> in my interpretation of part of being, as a woman, as a woman. I would like to tell men how to be. <laughs> Fair enough. So this one's called Giant. It's about, emotion, about being emotionally giant. All right, here we go. This is truly a demo. <laughs> Fair enough. Big and strong All day long You don't have to be Lifting me Never sad Never mad You don't have to lie if you need to cry You can rest your heart with me, my dear You can trust me now, my mind is clear I feel you like the sun, not a shooting star I can see you and I know that you are of words sometimes hurt you don't have to shout you can let it out no surprise it's in your eyes I can see it there and it isn't fair you can rest your heart with me can trust me now my mind is clear I feel you like the sun not a shooting star I see you and I know just what you are stand tall I know you can it's the action that makes the man big and strong all day long you don't have to be lifting me you can rest your heart with me my dear you can trust me now my mind is clear Feel you like the sun, not a shooting star I can see you and I know just what you are You see this person like the sun and not a shooting star I feel them like the sun Feel them like the sun Not like a shooting star What do you... 
you're playing with icons. Yes, I was playing with icons, you right? Were. Yeah. I, I think the song was really good. Well, I I knew that um, Lou was writing about Evil Knievel, so I wanted to fit like the idea of like an action in there. Like you're a man of action. Mm-hmm. And then you and I have um, Andrew and I have discussed over the years like what it means to be um, a person, basically, and how to be like to be emotionally tall, to be an emotional giant in right. a friendship and what that actually means. And so I was thinking about that in terms of what we are what you know, the cowboy hat represented. Sure. No, and <laughs> which is like the the distanced, closed off, masculine man who is isolated and 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 enduring basically and how shitty that is for right. for men right. to have to like endure. <laughs> so what I got from that what you just said is that uh the, the person singing the song, the, the, the first person perspective on that, when when you say, uh, you can trust me now, my mind is clear, is that you've kind of given up on those uh, illusions of what it is, yeah. what it means to be a man, masculine man or whatever, and you know what the other thing is. Yeah. And that's, you know, that, that was really, I really enjoyed like seeing somebody like give up on the, the icon idea, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Oh wait, so. we have somebody at the front door? Okay, I'm going to pause. We'll be right back. The door issue has been resolved. The door issue has been resolved. Yeah, um, your original question is, I feel feel you like the sun, not a shooting star. I think my intention with that was like, it's a real feeling and not just like a passing phase, you know? And I can see you. I know what you are. Right, and the the shooting star is is the romantic twinkle, twinkle, little star type of like, you look at this, um, uh, the, the, the romantic gesture or the moment of like, I don't know, um, the, the dream. The big proving of someone's love or right. masculinity or femininity which or whatever. Should actually it is. Be yeah. more, which is more about being the sun, which is, you know, light and warmth and life and. Constant. Right. Yeah. And all those other things. And, and it's not ephemeral. You know, although our I think our time on Earth is limited, but our emotions. What? I know. <laughs> what? No, no. This no. is yeah. news to me. <laughs> this is different. So. I quit smoking and want to live forever. Right. Good. Yeah. I mean, hello. I think that's a really good reason too. You're putting yourself through that. You should, you know, get infinity for that. Um, (laughs) All right. Well, we're going to take a short break. I do want to say that listening to Lou's song and the whole discussion today that I was starting to think about, one of my favorite American icons to think about who I was obsessed with her a couple of years ago is Marilyn Monroe and her personal trajectory and her ability as a comic actress she's a brilliant comic actress and you cannot do that without deep intelligence she's obviously a very intelligent person and people who did makeup and hair for her would say she literally transformed from Norma Jean into Marilyn Monroe in front of you she would go from this regular person as we were fixing her hair and doing her makeup into the iconic you know seductress of Marilyn Monroe and when you see her comedies it's just like she's brilliant and amazing and I think about I was like I want to write a song about Marilyn Monroe because that's never been done no one no one has ever written not Elton John (laughs) no no never heard one all right Grim you're in the hot seat all right back in just a second and we're back with Andrew Grimm. All right. And your song. Yes, my song, which I don't have a title for. Um, no, I, I'm kidding. It's called Negative Space. And it's about Raymond Carver, my favorite short story writer.
Put your mind to a story, put your fingers to the keys, put dance in the paper, fill it up with ink, make a new world, make it just like ours. Make a bunch of people letting love turn sour. There's a couple breaking up, a man who can't sleep, and all of these stories could be about me. It's not what you say, it's what you're holding back. Figure out the messages, you fill in the blank. A church on the screen, one man's need for grace. A search for truth in a blind man's face. Negative space, negative space. Truth is always there in the negative space. body is dust, your echo is long, burning up like rust. From your heart, to the page, to the book, to my eyes, just enough words to realize that the negative space, the negative space, truth is always there in the negative space. Negative space, negative space, truth is always there in the negative space. All right, that was Negative Space by Andrew Grimm. Oh, yeah. A song about Raymond Carver. Raymond Carver, who used negative space so effectively. Very nice. Explain yourself. <laughs> I quit yourself. Just kidding. Uh, I had a DJ say that to me one yes. time when I was talking about... For being some, gluten-free. Being gluten-free. Yeah. Explain yourself. Ex- explain yourself. <laughs> and I was like, well, it's not that well, aggressive. Yeah. Right. Anyway. Um, yeah, so I started thinking about um, icons and things that I wanted to write about. And um, to me... Raymond Carver is the iconic short story writer of the contemporary age, even though he died in 88. Um, and I really always enjoyed his minimalism. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, a lot of that was his, edit- his editor. I had a big deal, to, had a lot to do with that. Um, and Carver quit drinking in 1978. And, Who's his editor? You know what, I can't remember his name. That's a, we should look that up. That's yeah, an it's important like Ed, person. Ed, Edward something, Ed White, Ed Hill White, something like that. Yeah. Um, but there was a lot of like hemming and hawing about um, Carver like developing his own style and in 78 he broke away from that editor and started you know he was like screw it I'm just gonna do this myself uh, and he quit drinking at the same time and that's when Cathedral came out mm-hmm. which is my uh, all-time favorite Raymond Carver story and I've taught it many times um, and I just you know he was drawing on his own his own experiences uh, kind of like we were talking earlier about your, your friend who's like, you know, he's he's sober, but he still writes about like being like, you know, messed up and stuff mm-hmm. like and his characters inhabit that because there's that never goes away. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And there's so much to tell from that, those experiences. You know, you don't want to completely have those years totally wasted. Right. You know, right. you want to be able to still draw from that. Well, yeah. well, and even though you're not doing it anymore. And I was really thinking about recently just this past tour. I was thinking about how um, I was I was in a, a hot tub. Um, and Good for you. I was in a hot tub <laughs> enjoying myself. 
uh, not enjoying myself, like enjoying myself, but enjoying myself. And um, where's this going? I don't know. But I was, I was listening. Not pleasuring yourself. <laughs> right. Correct. Correct. Okay. Yes. Yes. Thank, um, thank you. And as I was sitting there thinking about it, I was thinking about the past. And it's like, you know, some people are like, I'm trying to put the past behind me. But no matter what you do, the past is always with you. You're oh, yeah. constantly carrying it with you, no matter what you do. Every decision you make is based on a past experience that you've had. And just the question is whether or not you're able to judge how your past affects your present and then how you influence what you want to do in the future. Because, you know, this idea, I like, got this line working in my head that I'm going to write in a song where it's like, you know, it's not, it's not so much that we're, we're repeating the past as much as we're reliving it. And that's the problem. Mm-hmm. And so if you understand what your past is, you don't have to relive the, the horrible moments. Anyhow, well, hey, now that I'm thinking about it, um, we're going to wrap things up. Lou Poster, you need to tell us where we can find your stuff. Yeah. Uh, if I'm going online and I'm searching for, you know, I heard some stuff, I'm like, what is this drift mouth bunch of people? Where do I find their stuff? Well, uh, you can go uh, to driftmouth.com. Uh-huh. Uh, that's got the full record streams there. And all the lyrics and, and, and all that important stuff is, is on that website. Spotify, uh, you know, I think Deezer. Uh, oh, yeah, Napster, Deezer. Like, you know, yeah. all, all those streaming services have it. Um, and then you can buy it at Amazon or Walmart or Where's know, the best place, shop. most financially beneficial for you, place for people to buy the record? Uh, if you go to the Bandcamp, I, I would mail it directly to you. So uh, driftmouth.bandcamp.com. Um, okay. That way, I can I can just package it with my own two hands and send it send it right to you. That's kind of special you for people too. You can send an old too. cigarette butt with it, right? And I'll, yeah, I'll just keep <laughs> getting rid of those old cigarette I've got, butts. I've got two ashtrays that are still full out there on the porch. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I didn't know until yesterday what a drift mouth was. Right, the entrance to a to a coal mine that runs along the seam. So it's like the if you enter from the side of the mountain, that's a, you'd be entering through a drift mouth. I wasn't allowed to play near the drift mouth that was down. Uh, the hill from the house that I grew up in, uh, because that was the old mine entrance that yeah. my grandfather, great grandfather, had worked. Um, I wasn't allowed to go near it, so of course I was down there every day. Fascinated right. by <laughs> it, right. of course. You're like it's prohibited. Yeah. I definitely want to um, know what's going on. And you know, the drift mouth from the outside looks like a, a cave entrance, but from the inside, looking out during the day, it looks like a little patch of sky. Hmm. Oh, cool, yeah. interesting. There Thank you. <laughs> right on. Now, Ellen Cherry, if I were if I were looking for some lost Ellen on the Cherry internet, stuff, yes, yes. If I was lost and I was looking for a, some sort of spark that would guide me out. I've still managed life. to hold on to the domain name ellencherry.com. Right on. And if you click on the store page, it'll take you to ellencherry.bandcamp.com, where you can purchase. You can still digitally download, and you can also subscribe. Right on. Perfect. So, what about you, Mr. Brown? Uh, you can find my stuff at junestar.com. That's my band. And uh, junestar.bandcamp.com. You can also subscribe for five bucks a month, get everything I've ever done, except for one crappy record, and then a whole bunch of original songs that no one will ever hear except for subscribers. I'm a subscriber. You are a subscriber, and I'm a subscriber of yours. That's and uh, that's really good stuff. Um, really appreciate Lou. Thank you, the... Lou, also for waking up and doing well, this yeah, in the no, morning. Thanks for, thanks for <laughs> arousing me today. I might have just slept until like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Otherwise, <laughs> so. so, cool. And we will see you guys some other time. This is our 12th episode, so I don't know if we're going to be back. And Well, I think we're going to do a, a recap. Yeah. Uh, episode when we get back and, and spend a couple days apart. If, <laughs> and then decide if season three is going to happen or not. Right. Well, we'll figure that out. So anyhow, thanks a lot, everybody. And take care. Bye. See Bye you. now.